We're in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, we'll be looking at the second half of that chapter. Nathan, the prophet, has delivered to David uh, his guilt of sin. And now Nathan leaves and goes to his house. But Nathan has been, he's been faithful to deliver God's word to King David. I think in a gracious way, we have to be willing to confront sin in our friends' lives, in our children's lives, in those around us. We have to be salt and light. I think that's required of us. We don't have to get on a bandwagon. We don't have to try to put a trip on people. But we must allow people to see what motivates us, what drives us, and that's to be pleasing to our Lord. But it's risky if you're a prophet to tell the king you have been found in sin. Nathaniel, Nathan rather, he, he continues and he says, David, your transgression, your willful sin, has caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And this child that Bathsheba has born to you, David, will surely die. So let's pick up 2 Samuel 12, verse 15 through 23. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do some harm. And I think they think David may do harm to himself. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, and why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Notice here, the Lord struck the child with a sickness, a deadly sickness. 
It was a sickness unto death brought about by the hand of God. Now, God is definitely the great physician. God is our healer. But this is a divine illness brought on by God. And God tells David through Nathan that this child will surely die. David goes into mourning. He fasts. He prays. And he prays for the child, but the child still dies. Upon the death of the child, David washed himself. He cleans up. He anoints himself. They bring him food and he eats. And then David goes into the house of the Lord. And he worships. That had to be a worship of sacrifice. David is mournful that his son has died, but yet he worships the Lord. That speaks highly of David, in my opinion. And then he's questioned by his servants. And David will give us a foretaste of what happens to a child upon its death. Upon his death, before the age of accountability. The age of accountability was established in the Exodus when they were led by Moses. Many times I think we're guilty of establishing that age of accountability at a much younger age than the Lord would call the age of accountability. In the Exodus, God would not allow anyone over the age of 20 to enter the promised land. That sinful generation had to die off out in the wilderness. But those who were under 20 were allowed to enter the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb were exceptions. And that's, uh, if you want to look at that, that's in Numbers chapter 14 where it talks about that. But it appears that 20 years of age was the age of accountability out in the desert with Moses. Quite possibly the age of truly knowing and being responsible for your behavior. And it might be a little older than we think. But back to David. His child has died. And David says, why should I fast any longer? I cannot bring him back to life. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What is David speaking of? Where is this place that David is talking about? It's heaven. The dead, in this case, is a child, an infant. Way before the age of accountability. He is a believer's child. David was a believer. And any believer's child shall be joined by his parents 
that is under the age of accountability upon our death. That's good to hear. That's good to know. David says, I'm going to go to my child. And that comforts David. That comforts anyone that's a believer who has perhaps lost a child or had a close friend that was real young when they died. We will have a reunion with them. We will see them again. And if that applies to children, how about an adult that's a believer who has gone before us? Many of us have lost close, dear ones, parents perhaps, grandparents, that have died and gone on before us. Heaven will be a great time of reunion for us believers. A reunion where Christians will be uh, reunited with those that we have loved here on earth. And in 2 Samuel 24 and 25, there's two verses there. We'll read those. Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah, because the Lord, because of the Lord. Bathsheba comes back on the scene. She has been sort of forgotten in this whole confrontation between David and Nathan. And Bathsheba has been mourning too. That's her son that has died. And David wants to comfort her. He does. They have a sexual relationship. And she becomes pregnant again. And she becomes pregnant with Solomon. And it says the Lord loved Solomon. Solomon was also called by the name Jedidiah. Same child, two names. Solomon means peaceful. That's kind of a good name. Jedidiah means beloved of God. So this is a child with a great blessing on him from the Lord. And God sends Nathan to David one more time. And it's good news this time. And he says, the baby shall be named Jedidiah. And it's an expression of God's love for this child. We see here that God's love for David and Bathsheba, now Solomon, God has forgiven David. He no longer holds a grudge. God is not one who holds grudges. He forgives. He forgets. But sometimes sin has its consequence, and it sure did in David's life. And But David has uh, been forgiven by God. So has Bathsheba. And we see that David sinned. It was so grievous. He could have thought, there's no hope for me before the Lord. I have sinned. But our God, as David knew, and as David 
goes through his life and expresses our God, the same God of David, is a God of second chances. And I'm so grateful for that. The biggest sin in David's life, the greatest pain in David's life, turned from a total sorrowful and hurting episode into one that had some happiness and beauty. But that's our Lord. David and Bathsheba have been chastened by God, but they've also been forgiven by God. And they're blessed with a son, Solomon. What a great example of God's goodness and mercy if we simply confess and repent of our sins. David received forgiveness and he enjoys beauty from ashes. David deserved death. There was no sacrifice for murder. You could not commit murder and then sacrifice 20 lambs or whatever and that cover you. No, Nathan had to tell David from God, your sin has been put away. God knew that when he, David repented that he would wonder, have I send away my opportunities to have a relationship with God. So God immediately tells David, your sin has been put away. You deserve death, David, but I forgive you. And God's great compassion is seen here. Then God gives David and Bathsheba a son, a beloved son of God. Solomon, peaceful, Jedediah, beloved of God. But on the meanwhile, this is going on there in Jerusalem with David and Bathsheba and all this. General Joab has been battling the dreaded Ammonites. And we pick that up in verse 26 of chapter 12. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon, and they took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah, and I have taken the city's water supply. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be call, called after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. Then he took the king's crown from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head, and he brought out the spoils of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it, and he put them to work with saws, iron picks, iron axes, and made them cross over the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned. To Jerusalem. Joab, David's general, is continuing his war against Ammon. Ammon is also the people where uh, Uriah was murdered, according to David's uh, direction. And that's sad that David would choose to use other people to do, quote unquote, his dirty work. But we hear in the news today, 
Today we hear how police are cruel and they're violent. And there are some that are. Let's not deny that. That's a true statement for some. But many policemen also face difficult situations. And they do it on a regular daily basis. There can be disputes with law officers. A distraught person wants to commit suicide and he wants to do it by having a cop shoot him. What a position to put a cop into. What a burden upon a law officer. Suicide is a very selfish act and it's our last act, it can be. You force others to deal with your deadly decision to end life. Others have to clean up your mess. The people of Ammon, they're warring against Israel and they kill Uriah. They're doing David's dirty work to murder Uriah. I have not dealt with a suicide victim, a family of a suicide person, but I have true compassion for anyone who has to step in and deal with that situation. But I was asked a few years ago to do a funeral for the, a sister of a lady who attended our fellowship and her sister had died from an overdose. That was difficult. I'm trying to bring comfort to a family that is grieving uh, severely. I reason, I said words to the family like, if this deceased lady could talk to us today, she would, she would tell us it matters what you believe. And I'm trying to cause this family and friends to consider the hereafter. Think beyond today. Funerals, by the way, are for the living, not the dead. But my memory of that funeral was utter despair. It was a hopelessness type funeral for the family. But David and Bathsheba, they're given hope. And they're given hope by the birth of Solomon. Israel, as a nation, is given hope by General Joab conquering the Ammonite city of Rabbah. Joab sends word to David, King David, come quickly. The battle against Rabbah is, is taking a turn, and we're about to take it. We've already taken the city's water supply. Uh, I do not want the people to give me glory. I don't want them to be singing praises to me. So, David, you come quickly. You're the king. For Joab was a very loyal general to David. David comes. The troops uh, take the city and retrieve the spoils of Rabbah and the rest of the cities of Ammon. The people of Israel basically become rich off the Ammonites and their spoils. Now that tends to encourage you to become rich. 
uh, from battle, uh, makes David popular as the king because the spoils were great. David put on a crown of the Ammonite king that weighed one talent, and there's different variations of how much, but it was a multi-million dollar crown type thing, a heavy gold crown inlaid with precious stones. But verse 31, in the New King James, which I read, it's not necessarily the best of translations that come in verse 31. The old King James kind of points out that the people of Ammon were tortured and killed by the saws and axes and uh, of iron. And if they weren't killed, they were made into a slave. So the New King James doesn't really do that verse a lot of justice. But David is taking vengeance upon a people who murdered Uriah because of David's scheme. But remember, David had sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites, and the messengers were scorned. The messengers of David were scorned by the Ammonites, and the Ammonites cut off half their beard and cut off their clothing, exposing their nakedness. And this was a great shame for David's messengers. And now Israel has their revenge. The scorning of this King Hanun, king of the Ammonites, developed into a full-scale war. Hanun, the king of the Ammonites, hires the Syrian army to fight with him against Israel. But Israel, along with King David and Joab, killed uh, 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of Syria. That's a lot of people. And it caused Syria to be afraid to help Ammon anymore throughout their history. And finally, Israel completely destroys the Ammonites. And it's a vicious, revengeful victory. But for a few years, Israel lives in peace. Their enemies around them have been conquered. However, what I want to point out in this passage of Scripture is heaven and what it holds for us and for our loved ones is great. That child of David who died, David was reunited today with that child. And perhaps you've known of a child that's died. A believing parents of a child. I believe we have that assurance as believers that our children will go to be with the Lord upon their death. And if you've had that happen, that's a, that's a great grief in your life. But know this, 
they're in the presence of Christ. And so we have, us who remain, have the blessed hope of a glorious reunion with fellow believers that have went before us. What a blessing. And David is allowed to see this as that child dies. And he says, I'll go to be with him, but he can't come back to me. What a great hope we have as believers. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.